The Duran Show, episode four. Uh, cool lineup tonight. I'm actually really looking forward to this one. Uh, I nerd out a ton when we talk about these army lists. We've all kind of alluded to it, hinted at it. I think we've been really passive. List building is, without a doubt, the most fun, for me, the most fun aspect of this game. Uh, it's where I can lose hours and hours of my evenings as I just build 22 versions of the same 500-point list. You think of all these weird variations. You think of all these crazy heroes, these concepts. And we've been talking about doing more of these pointed army reviews uh, on more controversial topics. And it just so happens Facebook pages and other chats and other people just in the normal course of talking have been doing a lot of uh, polls or what's your worst five, top five. So it's been kind of fun as we've been prepping for this episode and then talking about this episode, seeing a lot of the global Lord of the Rings SBG conversation because, Mitchell, what you're going to be talking about tonight actually popped up a few times in these big Facebook chats and arguments. And it was hilarious to see. Um, and it's going to be really fun to kind of take it, take it to a much more granular level because we get very heated on these conversations. So uh, really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's probably a good thing we're on a professional uh, platform right now. <laughs> but, uh, Nonsense. This is the cheapest professional platform that's ever been created. Uh, no, it's it's true, though. I, list building is absolutely my favorite part of it, too. I just love, just like you said, Marcus, just coming up with a thousand variations, but also to like prove people wrong that a certain concept can work or to figure out a combo that may or may not come into people's minds, you know, that kind of thing. But also keeping thematic. I love theme. So don't think I'm going for those crazy, crazy alliances every time. No one with no impossible alliances. Yeah. Well, Matt's sitting here quiet, but he's the antagonist of the group because he's the one that'll sit there. And if an idea gets pointed out, he'll just make a subtle comment like, oh, really? You decided to do that? That's disappointing. And it's like, wait, what? What do you mean? <laughs> Doubt in everybody's mind. <laughs> That's a really good idea for a noob. <laughs> It's like I thought that way in my first week of playing too. <laughs> That's cute. That, that idea is really cute. Huh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, any any other uh, callouts? I mean, we we only have a couple segments lined up. Uh, unless you guys have objections, I say we just dive right in. Let's start. Let's start tearing this apart. I'm game for this. Sure, let's do it. I'm ready. All right, Armor let's. Up. let's Let's set the stage a little bit. So there is a ton of background on tonight's topic, the primary topic. It's going to be Army Review. It's going to be one of those prove everybody wrong, uh, a la the Easterlings. The Easterling, pure Easterlings. Not Alliance, not any weird, impossible Alliance combination. It is a pure Easterlings list, and it's at a higher point level. Right. So, Mitchell, you and I have been going back back and forth on this for – I thought it was a couple of months, but actually it's been a couple of years now because I think way back when I made the general comment that Easterlings were the worst army in the game. And then like four days later, I see you purchased a thousand points of Easterlings. 1,500 1, <laughs> points of Easterlings. And from that point forward, it became the mission of building every list possible to make Easterlings viable. So we've had a lot of back and forth jabs. And Matt kind of got looped into this in the middle of it when you started playing. And he's just like, what on earth is happening? Why are Easterlings so 
I've never heard anybody talk about Easter eggs so much. I know. Yeah, yeah it was a little bit uh, out of proportion. Yep, uh, very, very passionate about it all of a sudden, which is kind of funny. I never expected to be that passionate about them, but yeah, I don't know. I'm what trying to figure out why you guys talk so much about a third tier army, but oh, well. <laughs> wow, you upgraded them to third tier. Yes, <laughs> this this is a bad debate. This is already going down south already. Oh, this is going to be fantastic. I, no, yeah. I, I honestly will be interested in this because uh, I think I think Easterlings are a very good alliance option. Good alliance option. That's good. <laughs> These subtle backhanded jabs. I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not even a jab. I think they're great. I think it's hard to make them solo, but of course Mitchell's the player, so we'll let him do his thing before we start diving into that. Yeah. So Mitch, give us a rundown of what you're building. Obviously, we were we're trying to focus on higher point levels, so more. I think what did we decide? Eight hundred points. Yeah. So more of a, yeah. a standard, bigger scale game. Yeah. Because um, everybody knows, like I feel like they're like the old school Isengard at lower points because the base troops are such high quality, high defense. They usually do really, really well. But it's the higher points I think the controversy really pops out, and people then write them off as like, oh, they're they're not even an option. So. Um, Without further ado, I think I'll just give you this, the stage and you can walk us through what you put together, what you were thinking, the motivation for what you're crafting. Because crafting, I've, I've literally seen like 25 versions of this over the span of a year. Um, and they've all done pretty well. Yeah, uh, I am by no means the best Easterling player out there. I've, I've not been playing them that long. I think it was, like Marcus said, like a year, year and a half ago, maybe. Marcus made the comment. They're the, oh, yeah, by far. We're... Worst army in the game, by not a, not even a doubt. And I was like, no, they're not the worst, you know. And he's like, oh yeah, absolutely. And so I went, all right, fine. So I went out and I got some Easterlings just to prove, not to prove that they were the best, just to prove that they're not the worst. And I've actually, you know, really fallen in love with them. I I think they're a lot of fun. I think they offer more tactics than people give them credit for. And I think given in the right players' hands, they can do well. Uh, they can do really well, I think. Uh, so that's kind of my motivation behind Easterlings. Uh, and I've played a few different variants. I've tried a pure, like, uh, Phalanx. I've tried more of a mobile. Uh, I've tried alliances. Uh, I've tried small points, big points. And honestly, I've had a lot of success with them, I think. Um, I and that's part of my reason why I'm still arguing against, it seems like the majority, but yeah. So should we get into my list a little bit? We'll just kind of go with what my most recent 800 uh, list build. And then before I'll... you, oh, sorry, not to interrupt. Before you get into the details, you have to put a grade on the army before we jump in. One to five tier, what tier do you give them? I think as a base, they're tier three. If given to the right person, they can be elevated to tier two. Okay. Player cannot impact tier. The Say that again? Is, the player can't impact the tier, though. The army's tier is what it is. What someone does with it, that just means the player's good enough to... Okay, then I will stick with tier three. as Because it is a hard army to work with, I think. So... Uh, if the everyday average Joe plays with them, I think that's why the most frustration comes out with. Uh, but I think 
if you have the right mindset around them, that's where the, the discrepancy comes up. So going into my 800 build, um, when I build lists personally, uh, it depends on what mindset I'm going into. This is just me personally. So I have, am I going for a super thematic? Uh, in which case I do like a Earl the Young, something like that, or maybe a, a, a Legendary Legion or something like that. You know, like what, what's the theme? Or am I going competitive? If I'm going for competitive, I am going to try to check off as many boxes as possible into what it takes to win a game. And I think we've talked about this before. Uh, you want to be able to fight on multiple fronts, not just one, which is where a lot of problems, I think, come with Easterlings, is how to fight on multiple fronts. Uh, you want to be mobile, which is hard for me to accept as a Dwarf player, because uh, uh, if anybody doesn't know, I'm a, I'm a Dwarf player at heart, and uh, I've accepted the fact that things move slowly. <laughs> so... But... <laughs> Uh, but you have to be mobile, I think, uh, and you have to uh, be able to counter whatever the meta is in your local group, whether that's a lot of magic, a lot of monsters, maybe a little bit of both, uh, maybe, a, you know, like whatever, whatever you see a lot of. So that what's your what's your answer to that that main counter that you will see two, three times in a single tournament? You know what I mean? So for this build, I feel like I've checked off every box except for one in my mind. And to me, that's that's a good list, but I've never built a list where I think that I've checked off every box. Um, if I can check off all but one, uh, I feel pretty good about the list. So this list starts out with my leader, uh, which is your foundation a little bit. And I actually selected my leader to be Kamul the Easterling. Uh, hold on, hold on, he hold on. is- Pause, pause, pause. You can't give us a teaser like that. What type of boxes are you talking about and which one didn't you check? Oh, I was going to give that or a breakdown a at the end. That, oh, okay, that, okay. I was going to give it a breakdown at the end. So continue. Uh, we have Kamul the Easterling on Felbeast. He is leading two Easterling warriors with bow. That is the whole warband right there. The next warband is Amdur, the Lord of Blades, and he is armed with an armored horse. He is leading five Easterling warriors with shield, five Easterling warriors with pike and shield, and five Easterling Warriors with Pike, Shield, and Black Dragon. So pretty basic. It's a 15-man, three, three rank phalanx, right? Uh, with the next, the third warband we have is the War Priest, probably the most crucial, I think. Um, and I did, for the first time, chuck him on an armored horse. And there's a lot of reasoning to it. I have yet to play with him on an armored horse, but I've played with him many times. I don't think I've ever played an Easterling without him. And so Armored Horse only makes him better, I think. So we have uh, an Easterling War Priest on an Armored Horse. He is leading five Easterling Warriors with Shield, five Easterling Warriors with Pike and Shield, one Easterling Warrior with Pike, Shield, and Black Dragon, and one Easterling Warrior with Pike, Shield, Black Dragon, and a Banner. On our, third, our fourth and final Warband, we have a Dragonite on an armored horse. He has a Cataphract with the Black Dragon and War Drum, and then an Easterling Warrior with Pike Shield and Black Dragon. So all in all, that's a 35 model army in an 800 point list. I have 
in my mind, checked off multiple boxes. The, those boxes being a, a leader who's not the greatest leader, uh, but he is a leader that doesn't mind not taking risks. So it, I want uh, the, the debate between me uh, uh, for Amder or Kabul, who wants to be my leader. I want Amder to go right for their enemy leader, right for the enemy leader. And I don't want to have to worry if he dies. I want to gamble with him 100%, and I don't want to lose VPs for gambling with him. So I think it's safer to bet on Kamul, who can fly away if there's trouble. He can strike up still. He can still be a fight six threat, uh, or he can still be an assassin. And he's still pretty resistible because even though he has will of evil, he's gaining the will back. So that's why I decided to pick him as my leader. So I think a pretty good leader. I think we have three master assassins. So you have three ways of being able to take down whatever you want in the game heroes monsters whatever you need you have two spellcasters in kamul and in the priest uh one is on a flying monster by the way which is also the assassin uh oh and all of those assassins they're all strike two of them are fight six stuff like that you know what i mean uh so the two spellcasters and then uh what kamul offers is that threat to your backline uh, so the compels, the transfix on your heroes, the fly, the hurls, the combats, everything like that. And what the priest offers is a fearless army that actually, I believe, has like a 23 and a half, maybe it's a 24 inch range, technically. If you maximized it edge to edge, where he's reaching six inches from his edge, moving 10 inches to the right, reaching six inches that way, plus the size of his base or whatever that equals out to be, if you maximized it. And you do play a lot of that way, honestly, bouncing left to right, moving half your army to the left, moving your priest to the right side, now making that side fearless, and then moving that on. Uh, you have um, a strong phalanx, which is D6 across the board, which D6 on your pikes is automatically, I think, what makes them the best uh, phalanx in the game because everybody else is usually D5. Uh, so you're still D6 across, which means you don't mind your pikes being up front, maintaining that shield wall, whereas usually if you break through the front wall, they start to go down. Uh, and then the double back away, which means even if um, you lose a fight, you're still repositioning two guys and you're maintaining that shield wall without having to use it up in the move phase, which means you don't necessarily have to win the move phase with your phalanx it's going to be in position it's going to be there and you're not necessarily banking on it to kill you're banking on it to plug up and do just enough and maybe even slowly die whatever you need um then you have the mobility and this is probably one of the strongest most separating thing i've seen about this army is just the mobility of a three deep defense six phalanx moving nine inches a turn, dancing left to right across the board, just makes a lot, puts a lot of pressure on bows. I mean, it forces your opponent to kind of consolidate a little bit and kind of dense up with you because he doesn't want to be spread out because you'll just blitz aside. And then the last point I think it has, it has two banners, one from Amder, who can become a six-inch banner if he kills your leader, and it has the other banner for coverage and also for VPs. So I think it's got check on leader, check on killing pattern, Check on magic, check on mobility, check on banners. And the only thing I didn't think it checked was numbers. Um, for 35, that's right on the hinge for me for 800 points. I wish I had a little bit more numbers, but I'd rather have all the other check marks. Um, 
being that I have a flying monster, I feel like I can make up the numbers a little bit. And plus the assassins. So anyways, that's kind of my build right now. That's kind of like where I'm thinking, where I'm envisioning this. I see a phalanx that can actually split up into two because I have so many. And the priest that can dance left to right to make sure either he's channeling up a blade wrath, not really channeling, but like throwing a blade wrath on one of my assassins to make them get off a hero combat or an assassination. Uh, providing fearless, you have a flying monster who can do the same. Uh, also protecting with magic uh, against uh, anything that might be coming or to set up a nice little uh, hurl or uh, combat. And then obviously you have Amber, who I think can go, uh, as long as the dice go his way, can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody, honestly. That's a lot of information. So I think I might be having electronic uh, rules issues, but my electronic armies book shows the war priest with three might, only one will and one fate. I'm guessing they've messed that up. Is that supposed to be one might, three will? Yes. Yeah. One, three, one, typical shaman. That's what I thought. I wish it was three, one, one. That'd be sweet. That well, <laughs> having, a, having a shaman with only one will would be crazy stupid. So, okay. Um, so what's your total might in that army? We are at, let's see, four, seven, eight, nine. Nine. Uh, let's see. Two. I, I did the math on it. So it's one, three, six, eight. I think eight might. Oh, Kamul only has two, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, my bad. Okay. Okay. And more pointedly, you have three heroes with strike. Yes. Two with two, two with two might, one with three might. Right, but two of those heroes with strike uh, also have blood and glory, so they're gaining might back. That's also important. The dragon knight and Kamul, or no, the dragon knight and Amber. Yes, they have blood and glory. Okay. So potential for a little might farm. If you set some things up right. Yep. A very high uh, mobile uh, army that can reposition, but also take a punch. Uh, and also, if the heroes are let loose, um, they can absolutely tear through. I've seen them tear through a lot, and it's really scary, uh, which I, I'm a big fan of. Matt, since I see you have the book open, and Mitchell, you'll obviously know this off the top of your head. Can you please remind me on the the bonuses of in, upgrading people to Black Dragon Warriors? Is that plus one fight value and plus one strength, or is it just what plus one of? It's plus value? one. It's plus one fight and plus one courage. Ah, uh, courage. So they become courage four warriors instead of like the typical base three courage, and then fight Correct. four. Yes. Okay. Still strength three across my warriors. But like I said, the, most of the time, the success I've had with this army is not relying on the pikes to do a lot. Like, it's great that you can reposition them, throw a guy into shield over here, and then stack up a 3D pike over here to maybe add some punching power over here, kind of balance out the dice. It's really great for balancing off the dice, holding a position, maneuvering, tying up, 
But ma mainly what I think this army does really, really well is let its heroes loose. You've got uh, all my heroes are mounted, whether it's an armored horse or it's a fell beast. Extreme mobility that way. You've got protection with fearless across the board, uh, uh, blade wrath to back them up. And then obviously the magic from Kamul if it needs it. And then all three of them have strike. You know, two of them can gain might back from combats and stuff like that. So that's where I think this army shines. The two bows in there are just because you're evil. I think you got to have those two bows at least just to shoot into a, take out a horse or something, maybe sit on an objective. Just usually, even if they run in only defense five, that's fine. But you kind of want that versatility like I was talking about. You want to be as most versatile as you can with a competitive list, I think. So I obviously have a huge amount of opinions on this list because we've been talking about it for like 18 months. Matt, do you have anything that you want to start with or should I just jump into the first of my questions? Um, so I think Mitchell already highlighted the big strength of this list is it looks like it can get across the board very quickly. Um, without judgment, I will say this is on the elite side of the model count at 800 points. So I'd say it's definitely on that tier, but I don't know that it feels like it's elite, given the might and the fight across the board. So um, that part is intriguing to me, and I know Mitchell will talk about how he'll play with that. But So that's my biggest gut reaction, is the model count is a little concerning. Um, I think you've got some very scary heroes with Amdur and Kamal, and then when you face the fact that if you figure out a way to tie those two up, you've got a Dragon Knight running around, this could give you a lot of problems very quickly. This, to me, um, you know, this is a army that needs to get off to a good start, it seems like, just listening to it. If they get off to a good roll when the first couple moves, have a good round of combat to start with, this could be very, very scary. I think on the flip side, it could be the reverse. If you lose the first two move-offs, um, it could be very scary for the person playing this army. Um, but there's a lot of interesting synergies running back and forth between Amdur and Kamal. And then on top of that, having a Blade Wrath um, option, this, this is very intriguing. Very intriguing. I will point out that it is... Not technically, but it is a fight for Phalanx um, because of the Black Dragons are in the back, including that banner, which I made a pike and also Black Dragons. So they'll probably be the last to die, but also offering that fight for across the, the Phalanx. Yeah. Yeah. Huge pause in the middle of this amazing conversation. We're adding that to a future episode. WTF, how can you have a pike, shield, and banner on a warrior? That seems so weird, and how has that not been FAQ'd? We're going to come back to this. We're going to come back to this. I'm writing this down. Marcus, don't pick on the thing that Easterlings have going for them. Like, it's so small. <laughs> don't take away what they've got. I can't take both cards. Okay, Mitchell, so I, I have a couple questions for you. So I have actually played variations of this army several times so some of these questions are coming going to be more targeted to specific instances where we've experienced some you know battle rep um, scenarios and kind of asking you 
how you would play through that or, or try to replicate that again, whether it be a, a, a poor outcome or a positive outcome. Because I think we're, we're probably split on wins and losses, if not favoring you for the Easterling, um, Easterling Horde. So it's not like you've it's not like anybody's wiping the table with you. You've had some success for sure, um, and I think probably getting better as you play them more and have more access to the to models as you've acquired them. Um, well, first question, and I'm pulling up my book right now. Is the war drum on on horse really only 31 points? Because I thought a war drum was 25 points. So you're saying a model and a horse is only six points? It's 15 points for the war drum upgrade, uh, 16 points for the model, including the black dragon upgrade. So the Easterlings have some sort of weird discount on war drums? Yes, they're 15 points. Oh, weird. Oh, you're right, because they're 30 points. Banners are 25 points. War drums are 30 points. And war horns are 30 points. So you're getting a 15-point wow, discount. that's amazing. Uh, I did not realize that. So, in, And we've talked about this offline. Having a war drum, I love the war drum inclusion in this list, because war drums are... Very underutilized in our meta, um, but I think they're amazing. Yeah. Um, they completely changed the list. It completely changes what it can do. Absolutely. And I agree with your, your hypothesis about having better mobility will make up for model counts to a certain degree. So if you have, if you're, if you're hinging on three or four model plus minus three or four models, having that war drum will make your army play like it has more models than it really does. So I, I completely agree with that. Um, question about your hero combinations specifically because i've played against you with similar lists and i've played against other easterlings because i would say kabul on fell beast and amder is like one of the more classic combinations of easterling pure easterlings around 800 points why the fell beast there is a lot of negative connotation in our area the west coast about fell beasts i love fell beasts personally uh, i think you love them as well but when you have to pay a 50 point tax to get a felbies why did you go that route versus um doubling down on either what would that be four more warriors fully kitted out plus amder on horse so you can still have a mobile amder with more model count why i think you mean kamul yeah, mobile, mobile kamul oh, sorry yeah, i'm sorry yes, yes. yeah kamul on horse versus felbies plus four models what I mean, obviously you thought about that. Why did you um, decide with the fell beast, given the other options, alternatives? I think uh, I did build a list with Kumul on horse to get those numbers, but I every when I built it, I was not satisfied. I just felt like I never, I now don't have that backline threat. When you have a fell beast and it doesn't. I think this is where it gets that negative connotation around here is usually when you plop a fell beast on the table, it's got to be your best model. It has to do the most killing for you because you're relying on it to do the most killing. And that's where it gets into trouble when you're relying on it so much. I'm not relying on this fell beast to do the most killing for me. That's Amder and the Dragon Knight. I'm relying on this fell beast to be that backline threat so that it forces my opponent into going into anti-fly. If he doesn't, I'm going to make him pay for it. And it's also forcing that combination of a compel, a heroic combat, and then lining up a hurl to knock down either your battle line or all your horses or something. It's just that extra 17-inch threat that your opponent now has to play towards. It's just a whole different dynamic to a game rather than just another hero on a horse. 
you're saying 17 inches because you're assuming a compel on a horse plus the fly range of a yes hobby? sorry yes sorry so at 15 inches if you're doing a foot soldier correct yeah sorry 15 inch dart range and he brings harbinger of evil and you can put a harbinger of evil you can quickly relocate maybe more so than on a horse plus he's gaining will back so i feel like he's going to gain the most will back on a fell beast rather than on a horse where he has to burn will just to get extra attacks whereas on a fell beast you don't need to burn that will every time uh and most of the time you're going to want to burn it up to a fight six anyways that is a very good point. You on a fell beast, realistically, you're always going to have a turn in which you can realistically guarantee two will back to being just killing two warriors. Yeah, uh, the threat of monstrous charge knocking your heroes off too. Like suddenly, you're going to be protecting your heroes a little bit more conservatively. Maybe making sure they have a banner in range. Maybe I don't know, have a strike or a defense up or something. I don't know, but I just feel like it offers more versatility to my army to be able to threaten you with magic to threaten you with monsters to be able to threaten you with heroes who gain might back with elven made weapon you know stuff like that just more versatility more versatility is better in my mind i also think a flying monster can make up that three to four model difference rather than just another hero on a horse with four models Totally agree. It's played well in the hands of a really good player. Yeah, a flying monster is something is a force to be reckoned with for sure. One of the other questions I was thinking as you were running through this list, slash when you sent this over to us to look at, the war priest on armored horse. Again, I apologize. I don't have the Easterling book in front of me. Is there an option to take him as a regular horse? Did you pay the plus five points or is it only an armored horse option? It's only an armored horse option. Okay, so then either way, this question would would stand. Why did you pay 15 points to give your war, pe war priest mobility when your war priest is only going to be following your phalanx? Your phalanx can only move six inches. Why do you need your war priest to move more than six inches? In case I have to fight on two fronts. If I have to fight on two fronts, being able to bounce left and right uh, is really crucial to me. Uh, being able to swing around an edge to throw a blade wrath onto my hero who's wrapped to get in range and then safely make it back behind the phalanx where he's protected. Uh, I've come into this multiple times in a game where it's coming down to the wire, it's coming down to the end, I'm broken, and I desperately need my guys out on the edge on an objective to pass their courage test and to be able to have that extra mobility to reach out further so that people pass their courage test at the end of a game is crucial to me. It basically, it, 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 uh, if you can keep it around, at the end of the game, you'll have battle-wide fearless if you play it right. Because you'll uh, operate everybody else who passes the, uh, the courage test inside the fury on this side. Then you activate your priest who moves over to the other side. And then he bubbles his fury over there, which then activates even more standfasts or more auto-pass courage tests. That's where I see it paying off, is late game. Also, the priest has a two-handed axe, so uh, if you need him to charge in, just a little bit of extra killing power sometimes. He's only fight three. I wouldn't even trust him in combat, but maybe you can sneak in every once in a while, throwing a blade wrath on himself with a two-handed weapon with a charging mount. I don't know. Or to cancel a charge. Maybe hero's blitzing around the corner, and he's got a horse, and he's going to just hero combat right through your line, and you just really need to stall and cancel that cavalry charge. Now you have someone who can jump in and cancel that cavalry charge. 
just so for that that last part i guess that i can see that playing out basically using your war priest on a horse for a permanent heroic sacrifice option and especially with low model counts it's it's not unrealistic that people are going to be constantly blitzing around your edges because not only are you low model count but you're really built to fight three deep instead of the traditional two deep so your battle lines are going to be even smaller than a typical army of this size i see it i still see it spreading out just as wide because uh, I don't see every single person fighting three deep. Maybe you'll have one up shielding, and then the next person over fighting three deep, and the next one over fighting shielding, and then you know just spreading it Und- out. Understood. But you know what you know what I mean. Having yes. having yeah. an army that wants to fight three deep, you're not yep. going to be spread as thin as say like a dwarf army with no spears who's forced to fight wide. Right. So the your your comments about the I'm not sure I would I'm not sure I would invest or see the the reason to invest 15 points in the standfast fury. Because in reality, you're only getting yourself four inches of coverage going from foot model to mounted model. And if you are in a situation where your your shaman is that out of position late game, I just I've seen you play before. You've never had issues backing your shaman because your shaman. Let's see, he's supporting the front line. Let's think about this. He's supporting the front line. He's got a six inch bubble forward too, so you're not stacked right behind. And if you run plus six inches, that's a 12-inch move in your bubble. Yep. Think about any scenario that is set up in an objective manner. Well, not any, but let's say the traditional ones where they're they're crisscrossing the board on the halfway quartering. It's going to be 24 inches to the middle of the board, and it's going to be 12 inches back to that backline objective. So even on foot, you're always going to be able to get very close. And even if you're not perfectly lined up to where 12 inches will get you to protect that person sitting on the back line to make sure that they don't run away and lose you victory points. It, you can sacrifice maybe one or two combats on the edge to move, to pre-move your war priest a little bit closer. So when he does need to run, he gets that coverage and then you don't have to pay 15 points. Cause that's a, that's another model. And at 35 models. Yeah, no, that's a really fair guys, point. Guys, on a, on a side note, this is getting to be funny. These, uh, games workshop electronic rules but i just realized the war priest is the most uh badass model in the entire game he's fight six strength six defense six three attacks three wounds courage four three might i want your rules yeah. <laughs> screw amder i want that for only, for only 25 points yeah i am going to uh put this down and go open my hardcover okay Okay, like, London okay. Strength, strength six. Yeah. Look, look in the blade wrath he is. <laughs> look in the options map because somebody told me that there are updates that are pushed to the because you have your iPad. There are updates that are pushed out to the iBooks app that aren't downloaded unless you so choose. So there might be a couple of pending updates where they fix some of these weird glitches. Oh. And just haven't downloaded. But yes, I uh, I've got many stories about freaking out about models. Specifically, Gundabad Berserkers. The tower. <laughs> yeah. It's like, where in the world are all these rules listed? Stupid digital books. I mean, I really like the digital books, but just every once in a while, that's kind of funny when you're like, wait a minute. Arrestor, when I first downloaded the digital book, Arrestor from the Rivendell list used to be Fight 3. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. Find me enough that that's thematic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's like a hobbit profile on an elf lord yeah 
Uh, going back to your point, Marcus, about the priest being mounted, I see that as a very, very, very good point. I've debated back and forth. I hit, Like I said, I've yet to actually run the priest on horse yet. Um, oh, okay. This is the first list I've ever built with him in, and I felt like I wanted all my heroes to be as mobile as possible. I could drop the horse and add another cataphract to increase that mobility, but I felt like... You know, for this situation, I wanted my priest to be mobile, but hey, maybe I play the list and I say, nope, actually, I want him to hide in a small baseline, and I want to be able to be protected, and he still has the range to get around, and I'd rather have that cataphract or two more warriors. So uh, that's, a, that's a really good point you made. That's a really good point. I didn't realize you hadn't played him on horse yet. I, I would be very curious for future episodes if you ever do follow-ups. I'm sure we'll do many follow-ups on this specific army. Let me know how playing with the, the mounted war priest goes. Okay. Yeah, I am curious too. I want to maximize more of him. Also, the bigger base size. If you did channel the fury, you know, for whatever reason, just gives more coverage. But like I said, yeah, it, it it's a debate I've gone back and forth with. Honestly, I have the model. I wanted to use him, so I stuck him in there. That's kind of he's one of like the most rare models in the range, I think, in in all of MS Middle Earth strategy <laughs> battle game. He's been out of production for a while. Yeah. Who the war priest? Yeah, on horse. The war priest on horse. So very good point. I, I definitely agree with that. I think that's a very valid concern, especially with such a low model count. Probably probably something I should look into. Matt, what do you got? Because I, I literally am like 10% of the way through my questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just think I would really like to hear how you're going to make up for the mic. Because I get the blood and glory. And I get that Amdur is going to have the idea of having pretty heroic strikes, which sounds great. But I think if I am facing this army, the first thing I'm going to make sure is that if I have anything that's fight six or higher, that that's all that Amdur ever sees. So Amdur's having to call the heroic strike versus me having to call it. And if I don't have that option, I'm just feeding Amdur base troops. And then the blood and glory, yeah, but I don't know. I just I think you're severely undermited with 35 models. So what's your strategy on that? Because you have to win move-offs on this. So I uh, think the first two, if you get unlucky on the first two moves in combat, and it feels like you could be in a hole. So I know you've got a strategy. Let's hear that. Uh, honestly, the success I've had is positioning with the wardrobe. You set it up. So that you'll get to charge Amdur and the Dragonite, who will stay just out of range from being charged. They just need to charge. Once they get their charge in, what I've typically done, not always, but they'll both burn a hero combat right off the bat. And they will blitz around the edge. They're gunning for any hero they see or any target. If it's vulnerable at all, I'm trying to get them in position to get it. Um, I've wiped out a lot of might beforehand just by doing that because people didn't realize that I was going to play that aggressively with them. And that's partly why I want Kamul to be my leader is because I do play that aggressively with them. I am gunning to wipe out your might. Uh, I'm gunning to blitz around the edge. I'm gunning to just be really, really aggressive with them. That's mainly my strategy. And honestly, I feel like I'm never out of position because of that war drum. I'm never feeling rushed because they have defense seven and defense six on their horses because I keep them in a little tight uh, gleaming horde pack so that bows uh, are 
not really an issue. They have been a problem still. Marcus was able to shoot a Dragon Knight off in one turn through five in the ways one time. Uh, which was a... I have that as a point to talk about later. <laughs> I'm not bitter, but that did no. Yeah, through five in the ways, no big deal. But anyways, uh, no, that, but uh, good point on the might. Uh, but uh, I feel like if Amder is fighting anything fight six, he's winning because he has the Elven-made weapon. Because um, uh, that's honestly the Elves' strongest point. Uh, he's canceling that, and he's also bringing that to every other army list. Um, and yeah, I'm just I'm it's I know I'm low might for what you would consider uh, the priest. I'm not really channeling. I don't really channel anything with the priest. I I save that might for a heroic move for when I need it. Uh, I'm trying to maximize the blood and glories with both those heroes as much as possible. And I'll try to save Kamul's might as much as possible. If he has an opportune combat, I'll have to use it. Uh, but mostly I need him to save it for heroic moves as well. Okay. And I don't know. I mean, I think that strategy works. And I don't even know. I would guess that at 800 points, average might is 12. Um, well, wow. I would say nine. I would say nine. Nine or ten. Just yeah. based on my armies that I build. Nine or yeah. ten. To me, is typical. No way. Not at 800 on a good competitive. I don't agree with that. But okay, Mr. Superlist. You're taking, you're taking four heroes with three might. Not every list is Mordor. <laughs> or, or, or you spread it out. But yeah, I mean, I just think, I think that's, either way. And what were you at? You were at eight? Eight. eight. Matt, I completely with agree with Blood you on the, on the feel of it. Because most of the time when I see armies that have only eight might at 800 points, they're, they're the super elves or Sauron or... Or armies where the heroes are so mega that they aren't even considering burning might to stay alive or to, to function. They have so many other special rules where they're going to compensate for that lower might store. Versus, Mitchell, your lineup, your, your ring rate, a fight six, hero of valor, and a super beefy captain. So it just, it does feel different. Mm, okay. The aggressive play, though, that does seem like it would work. You'll probably catch a lot of people off guard by that, and then forfeit the need, and either gain a couple back, or or not, or even if you don't, you've taken some of theirs out. So I, that that makes sense. It's a definitely, it's a definitely a fragile, especially with the Dragon Knight. Is either he shines or he goes down within one to two turns, and it's really frustrating. So that's why I don't try to. Uh, make the Dragon Knight my linchpin. It's mostly based around Kamul and Amder, but Dragon Knight is just bonus in the fact that he still offers a three attack, four attack on the charge threat against back might and can call strike. Yeah, that's got a lot of utility. So this is going to sound super critical, but obviously take this with the best intentions possible. This is what this segment is about is you're picking each other's list. I think you're stupid, and this is why. <laughs> and I have facts to back it up. No, this no, list reflects your lack of intelligence and your creativity. <laughs> <laughs> no, so your, your, your counter to having lower might is to be aggressive. And I think this gets you... this. Maybe this is just a fundamental difference in how we approach the game or how we approach just generic odds. But it's going to, in my mind, this creates a 
feast or famine situation. If you play aggressive, if you get into the hole where you pop the grenade really early and jump everything in and you get the roll-offs, whatever that be a heroic move. And if, let's be honest, if you, if you launch your two mounted heroes in, you're going to get one turn of attacking a battle line plus your hero combat. So let's maybe say you get two fights. But then the next turn, there are going to be a multitude of heroic moves called to where your opponent is going to be in a position to where if they win a 50-50 roll-off, your heroes are now separated from the rest of your army for the entire game. So then it's, okay, what is the staying power of those heroes? I don't like putting my chance of victory in a 50-50 roll-off. That only happens at the beginning of the game. And what I mean by that is, Amder, yeah, Amder's a pretty beefy defense seven. He's got defense the six. elven blade. Oh, Amder's defense six? Yes. Oh, the the dragon knight is defense seven. Nope, six. They're both defense six. I think, oh Marcus, gosh. you're thinking of the shield wall, the the gleaming horde. They go up to seven, don't they? Yeah, on the on horse, oh. when they're all in shield wall formation, they get the plus one defense, but that's not going to happen in combat. It's only okay. going to happen. So, even, okay, then maybe detract a little bit from what I'm saying here. So you have a hero that has an elven blade and fight six. Fight six is universally, I would say seven times out of 10, fight six is going to be the highest fight value encounter in an enemy army. So you're, you're seven five. Seven times out of 10. That's a... What's the matter with that? Yeah, seven times out of 10. It was a very 10. random statistic. I don't think it's wrong. It was just like seven times out of 10. Hmm. Well, 73% of the time. I think 72% of the time. Okay, technically at 67. <laughs> okay, and I'll just, since I'm getting called out here, I'm off the top of my head. Any monster? No, 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 stop. Any monster is going to have a higher fight value. And there's a lot of evil mar armies that run monsters. Any troll... Um, okay, then you take Bolg, Azog, those combos. Gundabad or Azog hunters are everywhere. So you're going to have a hero that's higher than fight, um, fight six in an evil army. Plus you have uh, Angmar, which is everywhere. So that's a, that's a huge representation of evil. Plus on the good side, any elven army that is fielded usually has a fight six plus hero. So there, okay. there is a lot of tabletop tournament armies that are going to have that better than six option okay so that's where i came up with seven out of ten so get off my case guys I'll go <laughs> I'll get i think back to you i think episode. honestly the only time i'd ever call strike with amder is if someone was a higher fight than him so if you face that gullivar if you face that gilglad if you face that glorfindel or the azog now i'm calling the strike and now i'm using his might other than that what do you need his might for other than to kill or maybe to get a heroic moves off. Because I will take the chance with an elven-made weapon at tied fight value. And if he's lower, I'm getting the strike for free. So this is where, this is a perfect segue into my overall comment for your, your linchpin, as you called it earlier. Amder is the soul of this army. Kamul is your leader. Kamul's on Felbeast. Kamul is sexy. He's flashy. He's got the spells. He's got the mobility. But if Amder goes down soon, you are going to be fighting from a huge pit. Yeah, absolutely. If if you run up, and we just we just established there are tons of armies that field that superhero. Yeah. If you if you play against the superhero, your primary strategy for playing down on might is now obsolete because you can't risk that hero launching into the frying pan. 
burning a mite early on and then having to burn mite to move and stay alive just to equal your striking. Uh, I would agree with you, except you're, I also have uh, Kamul who's throwing transfixes to protect him. So even if they're, I get against an unfavorable situation where Kamul gets charged and this person has a higher fight than him, uh, maybe he's, you know, Kamul's still able to throw in some transfixes to prevent wounds being stricken against him. So you're basically using him as a, okay, this is my get out of jail free card. However, Kamul is a – he's a – who said this? I forget who said this. Something in the Seattle. I think it was Brian. He has graded all of the casters into tiers, and he's labeled Kamul as a C, C hero, C tier spellcaster. And what I mean by that is you don't get a transfix unless you roll a four plus. Kamul is like one of the worst ring rate spellcasters. He is mainly all of his all of his abilities, all of his special rules are combat focused, regenerating his will focused. So if you're burning, if you get into a horrible situation where you do get surrounded, get engaged when you didn't want to by that superhero, you're going to be burning. I mean, if your linchpin's life depended on the spell and you need a four plus on a transfix, I'm burning three or four will minimum to try yeah. and get that spell. And now Kamul's in a huge hole where he just burned four will I know he's, he's a will farm. He can get it back. He's on Felbeast. But still, that's not optimal. And you're still opening yourself up to the fact that what happens if this is a resistant to magic bottle? What happens if they burn all of their will to resist plus might? Because they don't need to burn might to win your combat. Yeah. I, just, I view this as a huge opportunity to test the fate of the dice. And every time, personally, I've tested the fate of the dice, I get shafted. Yeah, I definitely don't want to get into that situation where it comes down to a roll-off or it comes into the fate of the dice. I'm playing uh, – typically, I've gotten myself into trouble. I'm not going to say I'm perfect at it, but I, I try to play aggressive but not where overextended, where he's suddenly – he's, you know, unsavable. Um, so I guess there's a fine line. Uh, I definitely see the problems with it. If you just run him in ahead of the, the phalanx uh, and he's going to get himself into trouble, um, he's going to get separated from the army. Um, I mostly see this as like hitting the same time as the phalanx um, and then wrapping around or cutting through the middle. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. You, you don't want to overextend him. You don't want him to die because if he goes down, a lot of your army suddenly starts going down because that's a lot of your killing power. That's your banner support. That's your strike support. That's your hero threat. That's a lot of things that go down. Definitely risky for sure. Definitely risky. I think I think you're you're nailing it in the head where this army is, where it struggles, where it gets its bad reputation is. The heroes can shine, but they can also go down really fast, and that's why a lot of people I think write them off. Also, the I think they think it's boring because of the troops. You have two selection of troops, three with the black dragon upgrade, and I think it just comes boring to them. Uh, but um, by no means do I think this is. Uh, up there with like Theoden's uh, riders, you know, up or anything like that. But oh, don't get me started on the charity army of the game. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at my my fight with this army is that it's not the worst, and I think it can it can it can do some things when it hits its stride. But some great points, I think, Marcus. I, I honestly don't see why this list gets brutalized so much or this army. I mean. 
I, I say the same thing, but I over Facebook uh, on the competitive forum, there was a, a rip apart of uh, Easterlings. And then you had basically the people who defended Easterlings jump on. And you had the people who ripped them apart, a.k.a. Marcus, jump on. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so the only thing I can – I mean, even Will Champion jumped on there to defend them a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get why people think they're bland. They're, they're a glass cannon, if you will, or whatever, or just not killing – they don't have the same killing power that let's say let's say the the Isengard Isengard strength four they're a threat to anything with a three deep pike I mean that is automatically a threat and I think that's where a lot of people write them off is the strength three. Well, I I think it's a similar dynamic to Lake Town that if you read it it just looks like crap until you realize how you can use it and then all of a sudden Lake Town becomes amazing, but any of their profiles by themselves suck. And the Green Dragon did a podcast entirely on Easterlings, and everybody was throwing out the glass cannon. And then by the end of it, I remember half of them were like, ooh, I never thought about that. Uh, this yeah. is going to be really awesome. I'm going to try it. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're great by any means. They are kind of boring. The models are super cool, but, I mean, it's not a horrible army. Don't get me wrong. I own almost every army in the game, and that <laughs> Easterlings are not in that. So, I mean, clearly there's a reason for that. <laughs> and well, that's gonna, my campaign continues I'm going to critique that comment a little bit too I think every time I've seen people on the Lake Town bandwagon it's an alliance Lake Town I've, I have never seen somebody get super excited about a pure Lake Town army Ooh, you might have to uh, take that up with the creator of the game or the writer of the game <laughs> okay. okay so maybe one um well, let me highlight a couple other thoughts I had as I was thinking about this army. I'm not going to spend time on it because I think we're starting to beat a dead horse a little bit. But one, Mitchell, you called this out. Low fight value across the board, except where your Dragonites are. So you're going to be fight three. Um, and with the amount of more elite armies that are in the game, your fight four upgrade to, to Dragon, uh, Black Dragon, sorry, Black Dragon, it's going to be a necessity to where you're, you're you're becoming even, not mm -hmm. surpassing. Yep. Um, I think one other call out as I go through this list, this is also a really good example of when an evil army plays an evil army, its weaknesses get exponentially worse. Uh, I think, and I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit, but this is, your. I think your matchups look a lot better if you are in like a pure good versus evil um, world or dynamic specifically if you take your war priest out of this list and you're facing a terrifying army you are going to be behind the eight ball big time any evil army that you're playing against that has a wraith their first target is going to be a sap will your war priest is done now you have harbinger of evil and terrifying impacting your army because you're only a courage three base right except for those those dragon knights which they're backline so they're not making your charges um so it's, it's going to be a liability. I'm thinking um, if, you t if you were to lose your War Priest, Angmar becomes scary. Uh, if you were to lose your War Priest, obviously not through Sapwell, but if he were to get killed for some reason, Army of the Dead now becomes hugely terrifying. Any army that's running Black Numenorians with that terrifying shield wall plus a ring rate, it's going to be a dynamic where it's going to put you behind the eight ball because you were counting on always having your low model count elite force getting those charges. Um, and then it's, it's just going to be an extra factor for you to, to consider. 
obviously you've you've beaten those odds several times, so it's not it's not impossible. It just it's another hill for you to climb. Um, magic armies. Amder's not resistant to magic, so yes, you have magic support behind Amder, but nothing's stopping your heroes from getting uh, walloped by magic. And I think any any experienced player going against this lineup is going to naturally identify the weakest link as your Dragon Knight, a captain who is very, he's like a, any of the, I play Urukai a lot or Isengard a lot. All of their heroes are like amazing captains, but at the end of the day, they're still a captain and they can get smashed in a turn if they get overextended. So if you get somebody that's focusing a magic with maybe one of their own hero combats and they can focus down your Dragon Knight properly, to then put you on your back heels where you only have two heroes that are combat combat focused. Again, it's just one other one other hill to climb. Um, any shooting army at a low model count with no protection to shooting, they have high defense. They have high. They have high. Um, what defense seven in the shield wall? No defense six. There's no shield wall on the foot soldiers. Only on the calf. Oh my goodness! I need to go reread these rules. I'm like very unprepared for this. So the Cav have the shield wall. The Warriors are still D6. So any the only the only counter to only counter to bows I have is the drum. Is that I, you only get one turn of shooting, maybe two. And I would say I would say for sure to always two on any army that has a, a, an amount of archery or amount of missiles that they want to use. You're gonna get you're gonna find a way to get your second turn, and even if they only get lucky one or two times, that's one or two models on an elite army where you're now. You're, now a flank is really in jeopardy. So it's one of the things to think about. I agree the drum does counter that a lot. It counters, I had siege engines written down, but I think your drum actually helps with the siege engines more than it does with um, just like normal bow fire because you can cross the board and get into combat before that siege engine gets enough time to get going. So I think I think you're fine with siege engines. Um, you know, the other thing is, I just realized the Gleaming Horde, since we're talking about that, this should be almost always an all-cavalry army. The fact that your horses go up to D6 yep. with their armor. Yep. Very, very anti-bow. He's, he's got the all-horse almost army. At 1,500 points, you have like every variation of this. Uh, I do get it for all my heroes, even though they you don't need a shield. So the Dragon Knight still has defense 6 horse, defense 7 base, same with Amder. Uh, and that war drum. So if they keep together, that should be my protection against shooting for right now. Getting defense for six the horses. mounted. Yeah, for the mounted. Yeah. And I would say anybody with bows that's facing this army, they're not going to really care about the heroes or trying to get the lucky shot on a horse or wound on the hero. They're going to be really targeting your base model count just to reduce model count to put you into into an early hole. Because like Matt okay. said, it's it that's, feels like this army that, is that. That's really interesting to me because I want them to go for my warriors. I don't care if my warriors die. I want them to die slowly. That's the only thing I want. I want my heroes to remain untouched and not the focus and to do what they want to do. So if they're shooting at my warriors, I'm actually okay with that. Even if they peg off three or four in the shoot phase, yeah, that hurts. But at least it's not my heroes uh, who remain untouched. And they can still shield up, spread out, shield up, maybe stack up a little bit. I just need them to take the damage. And if it's something I'm really, really concerned about, you could always channel a Fury. That's just another versatility to the army. Yeah. Not that it's always paid off. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And 
at the risk obviously this is not contentious i feel like i'm just like dragging this through the mud so to speak but it's almost like a, you have a grudge, uh, a grudge match against this or something <laughs> i know it's almost like we've been talking about this for like almost two years uh no so the comment about the warriors dying slowly you want them to die slowly as a cause of doom dwarf player think about how that can backfire when your ability to fight in yeah. numbers yeah. becomes challenged oh, because very. even if you even if the elves who have superior fight value if they're starting to do 3v1 4v1 versus goblin town yep. they are going to get steamrolled yes that's because true. all it takes is one or two to go wrong then the next turn it's four or five and then the next turn you're in a lot of trouble it's a very good point yep and then because you brought it up Mitchell, the uh the fact that you really have to be I, your dragon knight hero, your captain, he feels a lot like uh, the keeper of the dungeon. Matt, you talked about this hero a couple weeks back. Keeper of the dungeon can seems like he can do so many amazing things. This dragon knight having that three attacks on a mounted um, model seems amazing, but you're tempting fate when the dice go the dice don't go your way. Mitchell, yes. we laugh about this all the time. I shot in one turn. I shot your dragon. No, no, it was two turns. I had like two archers. I think I was taking like it was, a minute it was, list. You, you want to know what it was? It was elves, but it was two dragon knights in two turns across five in the ways, including the horse. Okay, in two consecutive <laughs> turns, I downed yes. two dragon knights through yes. a bunch of in the ways because yes. they're two wounds, no fate, right? Yes. So it's like tempting the fate. Like when it rains, it pours. And because it was... Thinker, it was because it was elf bows. My shield wall on horse didn't matter at all. So, yeah, because the strength three. And yeah. I we we laugh about this all the time, but it's the guy that played uh, the super war mumak and then had the three archers roll three sixes to kill the the leader off the mumak in the first turn. <laughs> and he just sat there like, okay, so now what do I do? I've never seen that three three archers hit, got the in the way rolls, and then rolled sixes to wound. Yeah. <laughs> It's what do you do? So it's having it's maybe this army. This army has no room for error. No room for error in terms of playing. No room for error in terms of the dice just totally leaving I, your your I luck. I wouldn't say it's. Turns. I wouldn't say it's totally no room for error. It's definitely tighter. Um, but I also think that you know every army has the risks. Every army has that factor. Like oh, if you if this happens, it could really snowball on you. You know what I mean? Um, I feel like I've had it, especially in the last tournament I played with them. I had it to where I lost half my phalanx in like three turns of combat, and which is a lot faster than I wanted it to happen. Um, when I say I wanted it to die slowly, um, but they're the fact that they can shield up, uh, your it allowed my heroes time to get through. I had to get my priest into combat. You kind of have to go all hands on deck, but you can recover from it. Um, something drastic from happening I, I have been able to recover it's hard but i have been able to recover with this army uh i feel like yeah i mean i but i i if i think about every list i build i feel like that's happened with every list uh think of the earl list that i made uh if earl goes down the entire army's done like there's there's a risk factor in a lot of things i think in in every list yeah i agree with that there's a lot of armies that have linchpins Something Even I'm surprised Thaden. you haven't. Yeah, Thaden's writers. Sorry, what was that? They have, I think, the most epic linchpin of all time. Exactly. 
Pure World Legend. Um, something I'm surprised we've gotten, I don't know how far we're into this podcast, but you haven't brought up the army bonus of the Easterlings, which I have personally seen win you at least three games in a competitive scene. Yes. So when you're talking... I think, I'm up, to, I think I'm up to four now. Four? four. Yeah. So and, and by winning, I mean it, because of the force reroll or, or force reroll on the uh, scenarios where games have to end, you were able to either reroll it and keep the game going or reroll it and get the game to end earlier. So your comment, your comment about having your warriors get decimated in the first couple turns early made me think about that. And uh, your army bonus would be supporting that theory and the fact that I, even I if will, you do lose a lot of model count early on, you can play to that and then have two dice rolls basically to try and get the game to end quickly versus drawn it, it out. Can't, it can't help you to end it quickly. It can only try to extend. So if the game ends before you're ready for it to, you can re-roll it. That's the only time you can re-roll it. And it's only once per game. So it's not, does the game end? Oh, it's a three plus. I want to re-roll that to get the two. It's only if it's a two and I want the game to continue and then you can have it re-roll. Sorry, just a Got clarification. Yeah. No, that's a good clarification. But you're still saying that that's won you four games. in a Yeah, the, la the last scene. Yeah, the last one I had it win me a game actually was against another Easterling army. I was in perfect position. It was dominant. It was, uh, no, it was Fog of War. I was in perfect positioning, and we rolled to see if the game end. The game ended, and he had it re-rolled. The game continued. He then took positioning over me. Then we rolled to end, see if the game ended that turn. It ended, and I used my army bonus and extended it, <laughs> and I was able to take it back. <laughs> so can you can only do it once? Is it one? Is a one-time rule? It's a once, yeah, once time, one-time shot. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So I had it used against me successfully, and then I was able to counter it with mine, luckily. <laughs> <laughs> but yes that's a good point and also uh the courage one i i feel like a lot of people overlook it it's like ah, eh, courage one boring uh the courage one has actually paid off a lot if you get that drummer to escape and to head for that back objective and he is now sitting there he's a black dragon so courage four base your force breaks and it's getting close to the game ending you need him to stay and you can't get your war priest out there to bubble with a fury He's Courage 5 now, which just has changed a lot. Courage 5 staying on an objective. Yeah, yeah I, was thinking, I was talking with you about this. The Minas Tirith, Easterling, Numenori, and all of these armies that have the really bland Warhorn built into their army are some of the strongest and the best performing armies on the good side. Oh, yeah. I think Easterlings Plus, are the only ones that have that bonus on the evil side. Uh, I think Mordor, Mordor gets it too for their army bonus if they outnumber you, I think, right? If they outnumber you. Yeah. But, just, but you have the ability to build your elite force where you're never going to be outnumbered anybody. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. And if you are, it's going to be a scary day for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's bad. <laughs> um, so uh, two, two armies or two style of armies that I thought would be specifically give you a run for your money. And I don't know if you've played this, so it would be interesting to hear some real-world experience. But any terrifying or high-based good army and i want to keep this specifically focused good versus evil because i think i don't know what do you guys i think it gets weird when you start talking evil versus evil or good versus good there's so I, many nuances and there's so many special rules that totally neutralize each other ironically i played angmar the most with the easterlings <laughs> so that terrifying high evil. magic yeah so that terrifying uh, high magic i've had the most success with actually 
But but I would counter with it doesn't have the killing power stopping. So Angmar is a glass cannon of everybody's gonna die as soon as you blow at them, right? So it's like how can you get your magic and monsters to wreak havoc before you break? That's true. I'm talking Army of the Dead. Yeah. Defense I have not played eight warriors. Defense yep. eight warriors that are gonna give your front line and your and... heroes a yeah. huge uh issue because you're not going to have any guaranteed hero combats you're not going to have any guaranteed um, you know, moves basically yeah maybe one guaranteed hero combat if you throw a blade wrath but that's blade about it you're and, asked, be, yeah. willing to, and that's, be willing to burn my maybe so your, yeah, your you're combats right. are going to be more expensive I, I i have yet to play army of the dead with this army uh, but you're right i could see that being a very very tough matchup the only thing i could think that might help me is the model count would be about even yes. and uh amder and aragorn would kind of be a good matchup i feel like like not that amder would win it but that he could at least go toe-to-toe with aragorn for a little bit mm-hmm. maybe yeah, yeah you have them mobilized if you get or the transfix if you get a lot of transfixes off aragorn could be neutralized but that would counter your movement because they're also a really good movement army because of all that's the true moves, yep. all the heroic moves all the marches uh the other style of army same same theme but high defense any dwarf army and especially a dwarf army that's got some archery built into it. So I don't know what that looks like because I never build it. But um, I've seen quite a few people take uh, a high shield wall, uh, high high defense army with the ability to to take some pot shots. Because then all of a sudden it's an army where it's like, well, I don't really care if I kill any models. So maybe now I do gamble on the fell beast. Maybe now I do gamble on the, the dragon knight like I did with those elves that one time. Um, I think that could be really frustrating because again, your model, your low model count, you're never going to have, I guess I never, you're very rarely going to have a model advantage. So you're likely going to be rolling similar dice, needing astronomical luck to, to execute those kills. Hmm. Have you played dwarves with this army? Trying to remember. I'm sure I have. I just don't remember. Uh, there's a lot of dwarf players in our area, but, um, I don't know if I have actually. Dwarf and Army if, of the Dead. If, if I have super fun battle reports to hear. Yeah. If I have, it's not competitively. Let's just say that. And obviously, that's the worst. That's like a that's like building a worst case scenario for Easterlings, in my opinion. So, not expecting you to come out with a a, a positive yeah. win percentage on that. But it'd be cool to see how the army plays. Yeah. To really highlight where things could go wrong when you do take this to the big show. That's true. I think the best thing I have going for it is that I can neutralize your best things. I think that's, you know, the, the terror on the army of the dead or the, the mobility against dwarves. You know what I mean? So like uh, whatever your, you know, your high, your high strength, you know, shield wall and dwarves, I'm able to neutralize that with my mobility and my flying monster, the terror on the army of the dead. I'm able to neutralize that with fury. I, I, that's the only thing I could think of going for me at that, in that situation. I still think it's really tough matchups, like you said. Great discussion. Great discussions. <laughs> Matt, you look like you're intensely reading that scroll. No, I'm just looking at some of Kamal's beefy options for. We haven't talked about some of the the magic shenanigans he can play around with, but instill fear. Well versed. Instill fear. 
Is to, hang on, check really quick. Does he have instill fear on the six plus? It's five plus. No, he he does get the five plus. Yeah, harbinger of evil and uh, evil instill fear on a flying monster. Mm-hmm. You do have the potential for some cool moves. There's a lot of synergies. If like he survives Matt. long enough to to make those cool moves. That's true. On a six plus, I don't see myself ever throwing a black dart unless it's a last turn uh, thing. Uh, but that's its only six plus option. Uh, Sap will and instill fear are five plus. Uh, oh, and compel is five plus. Uh, Transfix is four plus. String courage three plus. I have traditionally only seen Kabul ever do two spells Transfix and black dart. Hmm. I'm surprised I don't see people using a lot of instill fear, which is surprising to me. The tactical advantages it offers you is just incredible to me, especially on a flying monster. As you're flying over a formation, to drop that onto the formation and have it scatter to a circle where it's broken up and then you continue on with your flight path. Like to me, the tactical advantages of having that. I think we're biased because of our meta. The biggest critique of this list is going back to the might. I would sub out the war priest, get yourself some more might, because I think the biggest trickery this list could play is that you bring out the channeled transfix with Kamal when a dragon knight gets into somebody's big hitter. Mm-hmm. If you weren't relying on Kamal's might and you were just waiting for Dane Ironfoot to think he's about ready to kill a, a dragon knight and all of a sudden his will has been drained down and here comes a channel transfix where he's now halved fight and halved attack. I mean, that I just, the way this list builds, the only thing, I don't think you've got enough might to be doing that, but that would be so scary. That's a, that's a really cool, interesting tactical option. I've never even thought about dropping a lot of channeled powers with Kamul. And Matt, on that same point, the idea of doubling down. You're already low model count. What happens if you just doubled down on that and said, screw it, let me really try to be uh, weird here. Drop the fell beast, put Kamul on a horse, drop the dragon knight's horse, and you'd have to drop a couple models, maybe the bowman, and you could pick up a second dragon knight. So you have two dragon knights, Amder, a wizard, and your fury at roughly 31, 32 models. And at that point, it's like, I don't even care if you have a flying monster. You have three, three attack mounted heroes chopping through the lines. Not many 800 point armies are going to have the counter to three, three attacks. That's like Matt's super dwarf army where he had all these heroes with, you know, three attacks. It's very tough to play and they're mounted. So you don't have the, um, the issue of board control because with a mounted army or I guess with most of your heroes mounted plus a war drum, you're going to be moving like crazy. What happens if you doubled down and just invested in another Dragon Knight? It's a very interesting option. It's I, I think it's been played a lot too is running multiple Dragon Knights. Really, really cool. cool with Kamul and Amder? I've only seen the Amder 2 Dragon Knights. I haven't seen it around. I've just heard it. It's just running a couple of Dragon Knights. Um, I think Green Dragon talks about it a lot. I've heard of it over in the UK and stuff like that. Haven't seen it in person, though. But that's definitely a cool option. Really, really cool option. I built a 500 list today with uh, three Dragon Knights on horse 
and a priest to back it up. Yeah. That'd be sweet. Well, and I mean, I flip-flopping on my own idea. The Blade Wrath is an equally good shenanigan for a lot less cost and resources, but... Fearless. Fury. Yeah, I just, I'm I a just, big fan I of Fury. Uh, I don't see the Easterlings really struggling with terror that much. Um, and, you know, I'm the biggest Warhorn advocate out there, but I don't I don't know. I mean, they've got pretty good base courage. It's not horrible. It's not a work, so... But of course, if you say that, and then you get stacked up against Angmar, Army of the Dead, and you spend the game not charging, you'd really wish you had that shaman. And I know there's a very popular opinions that if the list ever has the the option, you always take the Fury. Have you built a lot of lists, Mitchell, where you drop the the war priest on horse and add in something else? Uh, yes, I have. You could drop the War Priest and make a lot of upgrades to Black Dragons to give yourself base 4 plus 1 to your five, base 5 Courage Warriors plus another I, Dragon Knight. I built an 800 list with no Kamul and no War Priest on horse. And the entire army was Black Dragon and it had tons of Cav. Still the Dragon Knight and, and Amder and stuff like that. That did pretty well. Because Matt's right, basically you have a Warhorn built into your army bonus, and if you if you sacrifice something to make a lot of upgrades to Black Dragons, and get that plus one courage on top of your army bonus, I will say it adds up fast. Upgrading everything to Black Dragon, it adds up fast. Your model count still is only at about the forty mark. Yeah, well, I would say you only have to do two thirds of your army, right? Say that again. Matt, you go. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, because it's, it's a two-point upgrade, I think. The Black Dragon. I was going to say, you only have to do two-thirds of your army, right? You'd only want to do yeah. the guy in front and probably the guy in back. I haven't thought about that part. But definitely, you do, you do your front line upgrade, and then maybe your middle line upgrade in case some people die. Mm. So it wouldn't be a whole army upgrade. For, for a, what is it, seven-model uh, faction... It has a lot of versatility, I think, more than people give it credit for. Yeah, it does. Well, Mitchell, you'll have to keep us apprised about how the, the test games go. I know you've been building a lot of lists, and once we have the opportunity to start playing again, you're going to be... You're going to be playing a lot of variations of this, so keep us posted on if something if something blows up, if you make any major changes... I want to kind of follow this storyline. Absolutely. On that note, following the storyline, we had a conversation about kind of what we were all gearing up towards long-term since we haven't been out of our house. You start pondering the meaning of life. You start pondering what you've done with the last two months. Um, <laughs> Nova popped into picture. Uh, the idea of starting to build lists for Nova. Mitchell, you started talking about your Easter. You want to take... Easterlings to Nova, uh, I guess background for everybody listening, all four of us, Mitchell, Myers, Matthew, and myself are going to Nova this year. Um, so it'll be pretty fun the first time we're all four going. And all of the armies were thinking about either trying to build, trying to play test, and the journey I, towards that big tournament. I play tested an army extensively 
played it in a tournament, was very happy with it, and I was going to take it to Adepticon, but obviously Adepticon was canceled. So that army's still in the running for me for Nova because I really like it a lot, and I put a lot of work and games into preparing that army. And that's your fields of a slightly different point value. That's uh, fields of Colebrant, yes. And basically, it's the same. I think you drop the... Uh, I love the Warhorn so much in it. Um, I might have to rebuild it a little bit. But it's basically the same, just less cap. That's my 1,000 points. Similar to your idea, Mitchell, I've, I've been really obsessed with the idea of trying to build and playtest elves and take elves, take a pure elf army. Um, I bought a lot of new models. I have a lot of building to do. I have a lot of painting to do, and I have a lot of playing to do. But it would be fun to find a way. We talked about Gilglad. I want to find a way to make Gilglad great at higher point levels. <laughs> it would be so much fun. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse again but i feel like i feel like I he's amber i feel like he's amber just better so how is he not good but he like he usually doesn't have a lot of success usually he gets he gets he gets exploited he can't uh my experience either playing him or playing against him he can't counter that weird army because in a tournament you always play one or two weird matchups where it's just like this is horrible and he can't overcome those hurdles consistently Matt, what are your early runnings for armies that you're really focused or potentially taking taking to Nova? Um, so I've only gotten to play two tournaments this year because of lockdown. Um, so my first tournament was a smaller points one. I played Goblin Town. My second tournament was a bigger one, 1,000 points, and I did Dwarves, um, Army of Thor, Iron Hills. So those both really like. I feel like Goblin Town is a little overrepresented right now. I really like it. I think that's the funnest to play. Um, but I'm too lazy to carry that many models to a tournament. So Goblin Town's out for Nova <laughs> um, at 800 points. The Dwarves, I really, really like. Um, I'm still solid on Dwarves, but I'm building my Corsair army right now. So I think what I'm going to commit to is I've never played a game with the Corsairs. But I really like the uh, the dynamics of what I believe will come in because it's it's similar to a, a horde style option. So what I'm probably going to do is I'll have my Corsairs finished here in about a week. Um, I will probably say the rest of my competitive for 2020 will be Corsairs to force myself to learn how to play them. Good army to learn. <laughs> it's a horde. Horde with shooting. It's scary. So, yeah. Crossbows. I, love, I, I like evil crossbows. I think we've talked about that at length. But. Plus, and, and it'll be funny because what I was raking on you, Mitchell, for might count, um, Corsairs is a very low might army. So, hmm. I'll have to figure out how to do that because I'm usually. I usually burn through multiple might a turn the way I build lists, so this is going to be very tough on me. In Goblin Town, when I'm bringing like 14 might at 500 points, it's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. It's like a, it's like, oh man, I need another captain. Do I have 15 points to spare? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
something that I think we should make sure we touch on as we kind of keep doing these podcasts is revisiting again, once we have a chance to play battles, revisiting how our, our games are going. Mitchell, I've said this like three times now, I'll say it again. If we make any major changes to lineups, for instance, if you were to drop the fell beast or if Matt, you were to change armies, like <laughs> let's keep, let's keep the updates coming so we can, we can kind of document our journey. This is going to be a lot of fun. I, again, trying, all of us are building an army that has not really played before altogether. The Easterlings haven't come out at the higher point levels. Matt, your Corsair army is new, and my army is still getting built, so that would be a new army for me as well. Um, it just seems like it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, so guys, it's a- how many competitive events we'll have between now and then. I mean, hopefully by July we're starting events back up, but it's not going to be a lot of tournaments between Nova and now. No, I would expect the majority of my games to just be in the local scene where people are willing to to meet up for a weekend. I think for the first month, it might be a little overkill because we're all starving for human interaction. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of competitive, a lot of consecutive weekends where the group around here is playing. Um, but I would be surprised if I don't, personally if i don't play in another competitive event until september i don't think there's there's nothing really scheduled unless it's local correct me if i'm wrong guys i'm not flying to the uk we'll see we'll get like 20 tournaments (laughs) everybody's like a new event this i think the next one is uh i mean i'm just looking at the schedule on the asb ga and uh there's something in Connecticut in July, and there's I'm likely going to go to the Fords of the Potomac. Are you guys going to that in August? No. I haven't looked at that one yet. You have to send me over a link. That's the one that, uh, that John puts on, right? Yeah. Uh, I've heard that's a really good event. That'd be fun. I think I'm a for sure for that one just because I'm starved for tournaments, but Maybe a few other ones will pop up that had to get had to be canceled. Um, yeah. All right, so we'll keep a tally of uh, games played with these armies and uh, the win-loss ratio. Obviously, if I turn up 0 and 5 by June, I will switch from close stairs. But <laughs> a minimum, you have to play at least five games before changing <laughs> changing factions. <laughs> that's fair so Matt will have to go th- he can't go through more than like five or six armies at that rate he'll <laughs> still paint like five or six <laughs> this will help your, your indecisiveness I've got uh, yeah these Corsairs I mean there's so many of them to make an army that it'll keep me busy for a while yet I've only got another week <laughs> I'm trying to think I've painted <laughs> He's like, it'll take at least a couple more hours. I've got 41 of the models painted so far. You started it last oh. week, didn't you? I think so. <sighs> I hate you. That's incredible, man. That's incredible. And they're not is bad it... either. They look great. That's what the frustrating thing is. At least I could write <laughs> them off if they were crap. Like, ugh. <laughs> like <laughs> Army of the Dead, one color wash. Like, yeah. Boom. No, I... Yeah, these ones, I'm trying to take my time with them because I'm trying to 
trying to be a little more meticulous, but that uh, probably won't work out by the time I'm done. All the heroes are left, all the arbalesters, and all my reavers, because the reavers I'm waiting on, uh, I ordered uh, conversion weapons for some of them because it was looking a little hokey the way I was doing it. So as soon as my gripping beast order arrives, I'll finish the reavers off. This is a really big tangent. Are you guys familiar with any of these side stores that would sell spears that somewhat resemble elven, high elven spears, where it's a staff with a extended blade, not just the typical spear point? Yeah, Gripping Beast has some funky ones that uh, are supposed to be Spanish spears that I think would be a good proxy. But Gripping honestly, but honestly um, I really like the... Uh, Fireforge ones, and I know they don't look like typical high elf spears, but they're just such high quality plastic. You get so many of them, I, I really like them. Got it. That's what I'm shopping for in terms of like little bits. I need some. I need a few extra spears for my bowmen. This was a new one. Um, one of the guys from Canada sent me that link because I was asking a question. They've got a lot of bits uh, for different weapons if you scroll through there a ton. But they're all metal is the only problem. So you're going to be potentially putting a metal weapon on a plastic for them. I'll write this down. And also reach out to them to make sure we get some sort of sponsorship for, for mentioning their website so many times in a five-minute segment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once again. And this isn't even good. <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, this has been a blast. Uh, I got nothing else on the agenda. So uh, any closing comments, any closing thoughts, any final challenges, Mitchell, any, any bets for what your, uh, your first five game win loss is going to be as an Easterling player. Mitchell's inspired you to buy Easterlings. I'm in. <laughs> uh, my bet. I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's tough. Um, uh, I'll bet again. I'll bet in my favor. We'll say four and four and one. Four and one. Yeah, I say four and one. Probably so be like humbled. two, two and two and three. Probably going to be two and three. Uh, like I'll be I'm optimistic except for the one game where the dice just hated me. Four and one. <laughs> as far as you guys know. <laughs> and Mitchell, this can't be you hosting a training <laughs> event. <laughs> Dang it. Wait, playing myself counts, right? <laughs> I get the win no matter what. I'm going to heroic march. <laughs> All my might is used up. The Easterlings beat me again. <laughs> I do it every time. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Sign All right. Off. Have All a right. Good one. Peace.